You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Jack Lewis. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, May 31st, 2023. Later in the program, we have Deep Dive, WFHB and Limestone Post Investigate, where we look into issues regarding health, housing, and the environment that directly impact residents of Monroe County. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, Crypto Winter on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. More following today's feature. But first, your local headlines. At the Monroe County Commissioner meeting on May 24th, Sheriff Department Chief Deputy Phil Parker gave an update on the jail. Population of today is 196, so we've ticked up a little bit. Our misdemeanor charges in the facility are 152, uh, felony charges are 37, and we have seven other holds, and that would include parole, out-of-county, or DLC holds. So that, that, that's our entire population, so we're, we're watching that closely, too. Uh, and it, it ebbs and flows a little bit, so that it's not unusual for it to be at that number. Um, an update on the uh, sanitation refurbishment. Um, we've got uh, Block A, Block B, C, D, H, J, holding one and two segregation cells and our three temporary holding cells have all been completed. Now they've been completely uh, sanitized, refurbished. Um, we are now working on Block E and that happened, that's the, the uh, our female dorm and we anticipate having that done by May 29th. So. We're, um, we, are, we are now ahead of schedule from what I anticipated us being at this point. So we're moving very, very rapidly. Um, and I really think we're probably gonna be well, well positioned to be uh, done with this by you know, probably sometime in July, uh, barring any unforeseen circumstances. So um, up on the fourth floor, uh, we've got uh, 75, about 75% of the common areas completed up there. So we're moving along in those areas now. So we're, we're able to now work on the residential areas and the blocks and also move some, some manpower and some effort into the common areas. So we, we're, uh, that, this is the first time we've been able to move out in the common areas in the last week. Uh, the fifth floor, also where the sanitation uh, has, has, has begun, that's where the uh, inmate workers reside and the kitchen is, so we're, we're moving in those areas too. So just a little update on, on that process. Parker also gave an update on the number of residents struggling with mental illness and some recent work that they have done to get them the services they need. A little bit of uh, concerning news, but some good news here too. Um, we're watching the mentally ill residents very closely, as we all know. It's a, it's something that we we track and pay daily attention to. So right now we've upticked that a little bit. We have 43, what we would define as severely mentally ill uh, residents 
and that's up about 21% of our population. I think the last time I talked to you, we were at 36, 35, 36, yeah, 35 yeah. 36 and 18%. Um, but I will tell you this, um, Commander Gibbons, uh, Gibbons, uh, the Assistant Commander Demings, um, our ACH mental health staff, and the judges and the prosecutor have been working very, very hard, very, very collaboratively. And uh, on the 22nd, we were able to send one of those residents out to a, a treatment facility. Um, the 23rd, we sent one out to a treatment facility. There's one on the way to a treatment facility as we speak today, and one other is going out tomorrow. So, you know, for one week to get that done with four of those folks, and um, you know what they're doing is they're they're going to these facilities for competency competency restoration. So they're hoping to get them back, or you know, at least they're to a level where they may be able to come back and, and answer to their to their charges. So, you know, I don't know how long that process will take. Uh, it's probably individually based, I would say, but I think it's um, I, I think it's very noteworthy that we've got all of these uh, folks, uh, the health staff, the judge, the prosecutor, and our command staff all working together to get that done. So I'm, I'm very, very um, excited about that, that we've been able to get that process yes. moving. And it's just like anything else, the more you do it, uh, the more streamlined it becomes. So I anticipate that being something that we continue on. Parker also shared that female inmates have received the new clothing that was ordered, and they are still waiting on the clothing for the male inmates. Parker shared that Sheriff Tony Skinner from the Delaware County will be coming on May 31st to give the commissioners a presentation on the RX program. Yeah, he'll be here on the 31st, Sheriff Skinner. Um, you will you will like Sheriff Skinner, I promise you. He's, uh, <laughs> he's uh, a, a guy who's, who's really looks... He's a forward-thinking sheriff up there, and he's got this this plan in his jail right now. And I and I I think he'll bring you a lot of really valuable information as we look forward to. Commissioner Penny Githens informed the public that it will take place on 11:30 at Wednesday, and encouraged anyone interested to attend. Next, Fleet and Building Manager Richard Kreider asked the commissioners to approve a service agreement with. Lentz Paving LLC to pave an alley between the Curry Building and Monroe County Employee Parking Garage. This request is to prove the estimate submitted by Lentz Paving LLC to pave the alley between the Curry Building and Monroe County Employee Parking Garage in the amount of $18,875. The combination of concrete and asphalt from previous underground projects has left the alley surface damaged and uneven. This is a labor-intensive project that will require an extensive amount of handwork to prevent future water intrusion into the bordering facilities. The scope of work includes removing the top inch and a half of the current surface, cleaning, replacing with two inches of hot asphalt surface mix, and installing water-diverting curbs as needed. Commissioner Julie Thomas asked if the alley was City of Bloomington property. Kreider responded. Um, I, I, I guess I just have a general question about the fact that this is an alley, an alleyway. So is, is this city of Bloomington 
property and how does that work? It is. Um, it connects. There's two alleys there uh, in between the justice. Yep. And they connect the uh, the longer alley in between the justice building and the Morton or the employee garage is on schedule for 2024. However, uh, the smaller alley that we're talking about, uh, there's foot traffic through there. It is city. But um, my concern is the the work that's been done that, that we've done, this is the result of it. And if in 2024, they were to come down and just put down a new surface, we're gonna have water entering into yep. the Curry building for sure. Yep. And this needs to be milled down and, and done a particular way. And and uh, we kind of created it, so. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear that. I guess I just don't know why they're not also supporting this and paying for part of this. And, and I do understand that, that this is something that we've contributed to. Uh, so I get that. And I, and I think it's more important to protect our buildings than to squabble over dollars at this point. So I'm, I'm great with this. I just had a question about that and I appreciate your answer. Thank you. You're welcome. The commissioners unanimously approved the service agreement with Lens Paving LLC. The next Monroe County Commissioner's meeting will be held on May 31st. This is Deep Dive, WFHB and Limestone Post Investigate, where we look into issues regarding health, housing, and the environment that directly impact residents of Monroe County. We are looking into trees in Monroe County, what trees we have, what benefits they provide, and which trees to root for and which to root out. This week, we spoke with Bloomington urban forester Haskell Smith about the city's urban forest. Smith works for the Parks and Recreation Department for the city of Bloomington. He is responsible for all of the planting, maintaining, and caring for the trees and responding to permit requests submitted to cut down trees. Smith is the official voice on whether or not the tree should be cut down. So anything that happens within city right away with uh, tree work, there's a few exceptions, but you need to submit a tree work permit, mostly for tracking purposes or to uh, stop something that doesn't need to happen. My main goal in urban forestry is tree preservation. Um, it's getting harder and harder to plant trees, and it's harder and harder to get trees to their maturity. We should look to preserve what mature trees we have, and with development around, it's development is not always tree friendly. They get a lot of trees planted, but that's it. There's no aftercare for 15 years to make sure they're reaching that maturity where they start doing the good that they need to do. I mean, we hit a drought and a two-year-old tree that doesn't get water is probably toast. It's a whole different, the soil's not as good, urban soils are full of um, not very good substances. Gravel, clay, um, just, I found coal, just all kind of glass, everything else. I mean, it definitely doesn't have that forest loam that normal trees do well in. Smith described what makes Bloomington trees unique compared to other cities. 
we got it for 39 this year. We're actually Tree City of the World for three years in a row now. Uh, it's a fairly new program, but we're one of three cities in Indiana and one of 39 in the country for Tree Cities of the World. He said he has an affinity for the Yellowwood as his favorite local tree. Uh, my favorite's probably the Yellowwood. Um, it's just got some pretty flowers similar to Black Locust, kind of some drooping white flowers, nonchalant. We planted a couple in front of uh, City Hall last year. There's a couple larger ones in Bryan Park, but uh, they're kind of a localized native. They don't make a huge mess. They only get about 40 feet tall, kind of an ideal street tree. So I've always had an affinity for them. Smith shared that the oak tree is a keystone species, meaning that it is so integral to the ecosystem that if it goes extinct, other species in the ecosystem will struggle to survive as well. I like oak trees. They're a keystone species for wildlife, birds, moths, etc., etc. And then uh, hickories are great trees as well. I mean, oaks are going to be devastating loss if we lose our oaks. And there's a few things, you know, oak wilt and sudden oak death and uh, the spongy moth, a few pests and issues out there that worry us. But we have to, you know, hope that uh, and kind of pretend that our oaks are going to survive. And so we keep planting them and there's that succession. But oaks are hugely important. Um, I believe, as Charles Deem called them, probably the most important keystone species. And then uh, black cherries are probably my number two for birds and other wildlife. Not so much livestock, but uh, yeah, their fruit fruit is uh, hugely important. He also shared that hickory and black cherry trees are important and listed some species that are important to owls and bats. Anything with hollows or flaky bark, uh, they'll use kind of during their breeding season. Um, Sycamores, hickories, certain oaks, uh, certain maples, uh, several other species. Those are the big ones that stand out in my mind. Locusts. Smith shared that the city buys their trees from Valonia and other tree nurseries in the region. So, Valonia State Nursery is where we get a lot of our seedlings from. Now, my tree stock, we plant two-inch trees on the city streets. Those will come from many different number of vendors. Um, Some from northern Indiana, some from northwest Indiana, ones out of Kentucky. It's all about availability and what kind of cultivars I can find that uh, I'm particularly interested in planting. Smith explained that Valonia is a DNR-run tree nursery. It's one of two DNR state nurseries, and they, uh, they'll actually buy seeds from people for a penny a piece or something like that. It's got these huge fields that they go out and plant them, and a year or two they'll cultivate them, and you can buy them for you know, pennies on the dollar for seedlings, but you have to order about 100 of them at a time or more. Um, I don't think they did it this year, but the veg crews or the Gerben Greens Grace crew has planted uh, five to 6,000 seedlings a year. One thing Smith explained that residents might not realize is that tree roots are not as deep as most people think. Instead, they spread horizontally, spreading out rather than down. 
I would say probably 80 to 85% of tree roots are within the top 24 inches of the soil. They, they will have some sinker roots and different, different species will have a taproot later into its maturity. But generally by the time they're big, nice trees, there's the taproot's gone. There's some sinker roots that help with stability, but yeah, top 24, maybe 30 inches of soil. Smith speculated the eldest tree in the area at about 250 years old. He explained that it's hard to find trees that are thousands of years old in Indiana as a result of widespread clear cutting in the 19th century. Before European colonists, a squirrel can travel from Ohio to Illinois without ever touching the ground due to the density of forests. Unfortunately, in Indiana, I mean, you don't see a whole lot of two or three hundred years old trees because in the late 1800s, uh, we kind of came in and clear cut everything, unfortunately. Bloomington was spared to some extent, but it, it could look a lot different. We've got a few um, older trees around, but nothing like we could potentially have had we not came in and clear cut. There's a white oak on private property. I won't say where it's at. But I think it's pushing probably 200. Um, there's the Kyle Oak up in Indy. It's an old bur oak. It's got to be close to 300. They're sporadic. They're out there, but they're pretty rare. There's a bur oak at a graveyard on State Road 44. It was probably pushing 250, something like that. Yeah, you don't see the 5,000-year-old cedars or anything like that around here. Uh, you're good to see 75 to 100-year-old trees. He walked through some of the benefits that trees provide to humans, from cutting down on utility bills to mental health and well-being. I mean, it, it's an ongoing list. I have a few notes here. But, uh, I mean, the biggest ones, you know, carbon sequestration, stormwater um, savings, energy consumption, shade on your house, you don't have to run your AC. Winter, when the leaves fall off, the sun can hit your house, so you maybe don't have to run the heat as much. So there's a lot of kilowatts saved that way. And then even just, uh, you know, how you feel about stuff, your mental health. Uh, there's countless studies out there about mental health. And then even as far as asthma, people in neighborhoods with trees that uh, younger kids are introduced to can have as much as like a 6 or 7% less chance of having, developing asthma symptoms just by being around trees. And then, they, you know, they act as a filter for our air and the pollutants. Um, I got a lot of numbers. And these all come from the tree trunk formula. So that's a big old thing. And a lot of this was calculated during our uh, tree keeper survey in 2019. And that can be found, tree keeper, Bloomington, that card I gave you. Anybody can see this information. But we get about a million dollars in benefits every single year for our inventory trees. We have about just a hair over 20,000 inventoried for the city of Bloomington. Um, 2 million pounds of CO2 is sequestered every year, um, 3.5 million gallons of water saved every year, 16,000 pounds of pollutants are filtered, and almost a million kilowatts are saved of energy. And, uh, you know, that's only what we have inventoried. So as a whole, as uh, just as what the city might own between Griffey and Leonard Springs and our unimproved right-of-ways and all our natural areas, I, I think the number is closer to probably 100K. And so all of that information I said times five is probably more the reality of what we're getting. He also added that trees have an economic value to the city and said that trees are an investment that increase in value over time. I go to conferences and 
I have been for many years and uh, several years ago I was at one um, and I can't remember the speaker. I can't remember what the talk was about, but trees are the only piece of infrastructure that the city invests in that gains value as it ages. As soon as you pave a road, it starts going down, you know, infrastructure. As soon as you put a light in, it starts its burnout cycle. Trees are the only ones that give you more value as it ages. So we should definitely be trying to preserve them. So that, you know, and that one's always stuck with me and how important tree preservation is for a city. According to the 2019 Urban Tree Canopy Report conducted by the Davey Resource Group for the city of Bloomington, trees provide an estimated annual economic value of $1.9 million to Bloomington. According to the report, the city's trees sequester 28,000 tons of carbon, remove 470,000 pounds of air pollutants, and manage 90.6 million gallons of stormwater runoff each year. The 2019 Urban Tree Canopy Report also documented the current tree canopy coverage. The report found that the tree canopy in 2019 covered 38% of the ground in Bloomington. The report says our attainable tree canopy, or where there could be tree coverage, is 61%, meaning that 39% cannot have a tree canopy due to large buildings and cement areas like parking lots and roads. However, the remaining area that could have a tree canopy if trees were planted is 23%, which is spread across both public and private land. The report noted that most of the decrease in canopy cover over the last decade has occurred on private land. We asked Smith if they could plant fruit trees that a resident could pick while walking to work or school. Smith said it is not currently within the city's capacity, but he did highlight that they partner with the Bloomington Community Orchard. Yeah, I think it, it could serve its place, but you're never going to replace the, the larger shade trees just due to that carbon sequestration and uh, pollutant filtering, getting the shade around when it needs to be there and when it not, and this, you know, in the winter. Uh, a lot of fruit trees don't grow to be big or tall and uh, a lot of fruit wood's pretty weak so it's not exactly storm resilient mm -hmm. um, fruit wood also has a million pests um, fruit trees fruit wood however uh, cedar apple rust i mean people have to spray for that two or three times a year generally and then that's just more i mean it's a great idea i think and i think if you could find a way to do it in the right place but it, it would just be way too much for a city to undertake. Like, I need to be able to plant a tree and water that first couple of years and then forget about it, basically. Hopefully, you know, it lives, obviously, keep an eye on it. But And then come back in three to five, give it a prune, and just kind of let it do its thing. I, definitely, I barely have enough resources to keep up with what we got, um, let alone fruit trees, which are much more intensive. You know, it takes pruning every year. you got to spray for bugs and fungus and then if it gets black knot you're starting all over mm -hmm. so i i think it could serve a purpose in places i mean we have the community orchard who mm -hmm. urban forestry is also a partner with uh hopefully we'll do another pruning workshop later this year but uh yeah i think little places like that but necessarily walking down the street picking apricots and pears i think that's kind of a little 
far fetched for what we want to do as you know urban forestry. Smith highlighted a way residents can look up the tree types that have been cataloged and explained some resources that are available through the parks office if residents have any questions about trees within the city. The city had an inventory back in 2019 through Davy Resource Group, and we got this excellent software called Tree or Tree Keeper. And uh, if you're walking down the street and you see a tree you can't identify or you're curious and you want to plant one in your yard, you can go to um, oh, this, our city website about trees. Yeah, bloomington.in.gov slash tree care. And uh, on there you'll find a link to our public tree inventory. And you can search by address and find that tree and You'll have the knowledge or you can reach out to me. Um, I believe my information's on that website as well. Um, you can always call the parks office. Any questions about trees, tree work permits, etc., etc. Um, I'm here to serve the public. If you are listening and you have any questions about trees you would like answered, or maybe you have a few trees in your life that you want to share with others in the community, you can email us at deepdive at wfhb.org, or you can leave us a voicemail at 802-552-3483. This voicemail box is new for us, and we are pretty excited about it. If you leave us a message about a tree, we would love to share it on a future episode of Deep Dive. Tune in next week to dive deeper and learn more about our local trees. Up next, Crypto Winter on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. We turn to host and producer Richard Fish for more. Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. We've talked before about the dangers of investing in cryptocurrencies. In case you've spent 10 years living in a cave, Merriam-Webster defines cryptocurrencies as, quote, any form of currency that only exists digitally, that usually has no central issuing or regulating authority, but instead uses a decentralized system to record transactions and manage the issuance of new units, and that relies upon cryptography to prevent counterfeiting and fraudulent transactions. End quote. The key points are that cryptocurrencies, like Bitcoin or Ethereum or several thousand others, are not backed by any government, unlike the United States dollar, the British pound, the Swiss franc, and so on, and do not have any form of cash, like bills or coins, that you can hold in your hands or stuff in a mattress. 
there are many, including government agencies, who believe that the entire world of cryptocurrencies is one gigantic scam. But it is possible to buy cryptocurrencies with U.S. dollars and sell them for U.S. dollars, so a great many people have gotten involved, including lots of wealthy individuals and financial institutions you would think would know better. And right now, the whole thing is going through what is described as a crypto winter. In plain English, that means a period when the value of these currencies has declined, something like the way a snowflake declines when it's part of an avalanche. The crypto market reached a peak in 2021 and since then has lost over $2 trillion in value. That's $2,000 billion. Companies and websites which specialize in cryptocurrency transactions and functioned in many ways like a regular bank have been behaving like real money banks did at the start of the Great Depression. People started trying to sell out, and it was like a run on a bank, only happening at the speed of light in cyberspace. Investors started getting notices that they could no longer withdraw their money followed by filings for bankruptcy and, in some cases, by company officials suddenly moving to countries with no extradition treaties. Outright scammers have been and still are using this business to rip off victims. Romance scams, where someone you've never met in person develops a personal love interest over the Internet, have been persuading victims to invest in fake cryptocurrencies, if that's not a contradiction in terms, which are allegedly immune to the downturn. They have phony websites that show your money growing and growing when in fact it's gone altogether. The vast world of crypto finance has exchanges, hedge funds, so-called stable coins, allegedly pegged to real money, a huge and elaborate structure built on crypto miners, people who leave their computers on 24 hours a day to create digital coins, some of whom are now unable to pay their electricity bills. Cryptocurrencies always sounded to us like they were too good to be true. Need I say more? I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at WFHB.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at WFHB.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noelle Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by myself and Noelle Herhusky Schneider. 
Better Beware was produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music was provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. And for WFHB, I'm Jack Lewis. And this is Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. And stay tuned for cool solutions. Climate action from the bottom up coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 